Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, when I was, um, when my kids were younger, I coached Little League Baseball. And um, as a coach, what I would do normally in the first practice of the year I would have all the kids come, you know, kind of huddle up, and then I would say, all right, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to run out on the field to the position that you want to play. Every single kid ran to the same place, the pitcher's mound. Every one of them thought they were going to be a pitcher because in their mind, the only position that mattered on the team was the pitcher. Boy, did they have that wrong, right? Because we all know that you could have fantastic pitching, but if you don't have a good supporting team around you, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. And so I think most of us who have played team sports realize that every position matters, every player matters, and every person matters. It just, it just does. In football, um, you have 11 people on offense, 11 people on defense. There is a penalty for having too many men on the field. So if you've got 12 guys on the field, the ref is going to throw a flag because it's an unfair advantage having too many players. But interestingly enough, there is not a penalty for having too few players on the field. So if only 10 of your guys show up on the field, um, you don't get the flag. It's not a penalty because you've penalized your team enough because everybody matters, right? Every player, every position, and every person matters. I think knowing that we matter is one of the most basic human needs. I don't care who you are, at some point in your life, you're going to ask probably questions like this. I think the three big questions that every person asks. Why am I here? What is my purpose? And do I matter? And let me just tell you something. You matter. You matter to God. You matter to us. And what I loved about Jesus' ministry is that he was always about reaching out to the people who didn't think they mattered. Either they've been told they didn't matter by society, or maybe they have, by their own um, self-disqualification, thought they didn't matter because they'd made a lot of mistakes. Jesus gravitated toward the people who nobody else wanted to deal with. He was the one who found the misfits, the outcasts, the broken. Jesus was there to show them and to prove to them that they truly did matter. Today, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus. These were stories that Jesus would tell about certain points that he wanted to illustrate. And on this particular one we're going to look at is this thing called the grace of God. We just finished singing about the grace and love of God. Now, as we get into this story, um, remember that the audience that Jesus is talking to, right? This is important as you you understand the context. Jesus is talking to a group mostly consisting of Jewish people. Those were God's people of the Old Testament. Um... A lot of his messages or illustrations were really directed at a certain group of those Jewish people known as the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were the people in the know. And yet these were the hypocritical ones. These are the ones that Jesus seemed to have a lot of problems with and tension with and, and, and friction with. And so he would often use these stories to kind of drive home a point that they were missing. Now, in the Pharisees and religious leaders' minds, they, they considered themselves on another level, like it was them and everybody else. Like, yeah, we matter to God. The Jewish people, they sort of matter to God because they were God's people, but they don't matter as much as us. And the Gentiles, the non-Jews, or the sinners, or the bad people, they don't matter to God at all. 
This was their outlook. And so Jesus tells the story about the grace of God showing that everyone matters. You're going to hear the word everyone a lot because the Bible uses it a lot. It's super inclusive, meaning that it's available to all of us. So what I'm going to do today is a little different. Um, rather than read it all in one chunk, this parable, I'm going to break it up into the, in, in, in between the two points that I've got in the message. So I'm going to give you the point. We'll get to the story. So let me give you the first point. The first point is this. God's grace is undeserved and available to everyone. God's grace is undeserved and available to everyone. The grace of God is just something that is amazing, right? The song, Amazing Grace, it truly is. Grace is, is it God's undeserved, unmerited favor in our lives. He does for us what we can't do for ourselves. So this story is all about that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna break it, the first part of the story, um, and, and here's what it says. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever's right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon, and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. And again, um, the invitation was open to everyone. It, it, the, the vineyard owner is, is God. Okay, this is a parable. It's, it's about God. All the people in the vineyard, all the workers that are hired at various times, that's all of us. Some of us, you know, meeting God early in life, some of us later in life, and all these things. So this is kind of what he's going to tell the story. Again, trying to direct this at... At that time, God's people were the Jews, and uh, the Gentiles were kind of on the outside looking in. Jesus, being all-inclusive, is now sharing that this grace of God is available to all of us because everyone matters. In John 3, 16, probably the most popular verse in all the Bible, um, we, we know that salvation is open to everyone because here's what, here's what the Bible says, John 3, 16, from the New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone, there's the word again, that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So God's grace is undeserved. I like to look at it this way. Okay, so it's undeserved and it's available to everyone. Again, all inclusive. And Jesus is telling this story. He says there's this guy that owns this vineyard and um, he needs some workers. So he finds some guys out there and he says, hey, I'm going to give you a job. Bright and early, probably before the crack of dawn, they go out to the field. They start working. He promised them a day's wage. Nine o'clock, he's out in the marketplace, sees some more people, hires them, says, I'll take care of you. Twelve o'clock, three o'clock, five o'clock, an hour before quitting time, he hires some more people, says, I'll take care of you at the end of the day. Again, as you're going to see the story unfold, you're going to see why this is so important and why this relates to this. But again, it comes back to this unmerited favor of God, the grace of God. And I like to illustrate grace in a couple of different ways. One of those ways is remember when you were a kid and, and you had a plate of food in front of you and your mother said, you can have dessert when you, when you clean your plate. And so you start eating and you start with the stuff you like. You finally are doing pretty good till you hit the, the broccoli or the green beans or whatever it is you don't like. And you're thinking, man, I want to get that dessert, but I gotta, I, it's got to go through here. So you try eating it as best you can. You're gagging, you're trying to hide it under a napkin. Everything you're trying to do, you know it's not going to work. Finally, your mother says, okay, I know you tried. 
you're not gonna be able to do this, but you're gonna have dessert anyways. That's grace. That's what God does for us. Someone put it this way. Listen to this. I, I, I like this. Someone said this. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage, right? You go to work, end of the day, you deserve that, you, you, get, your, you get your pay, that's a wage. When a person competes against an opponent and receives a trophy for his performance, that is a prize. When a person receives recognition for an achievement, that is an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyways, that is grace. We don't, we don't deserve grace. God gives it to us. We don't deserve salvation. God gives it as a free gift. It's grace. Let me illustrate it another way that I've used before, but it fits really well here. You may not believe this, but I cannot dunk a basketball. All right, I know that's shocking news. I cannot dunk a basketball. I want to, all my life, I've wanted to dunk a basketball. I cannot do that. No matter how hard I try, it's impossible for me to dunk a basketball. I could call up Michael Jordan on the phone if I knew his number, and I could say, hey, MJ, can I borrow those sneakers that you used in the championship game? And I could put those on my feet, and I still could not dunk a basketball. I could call LeBron James if I had his number and say, LeBron, can I borrow your headband? And I could put that headband on my head, and I could still not dunk a basketball. I could, I could give myself the greatest pep talk in the world and I could still not dunk a basketball. I could go on YouTube, and I could hear motivational speakers like David Goggins and some of those ones that, you know, giving you those like raw, raw speeches, and I still couldn't dunk a basketball. I could go to the library or go to amazonbooks.com and buy the little train that could. I think I could, I think I can, I, I know I can, and I still can't dunk a basketball. However, however, if they were to lower that goal about two feet, I could amaze you with my dunking skills. It would be amazing, windmill 360 through my legs, around my back, slam dunk, and you would be cheering because of that dunk. Isn't that what God did for us? There is no way we could earn salvation. We could, we could never get good enough. We could never be religious enough. We could never earn our way into salvation, buy our way into salvation, achieve our way into salvation, perform our way into salvation, but God knew that, and so God lowered the goal by sending his son, God in flesh, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and go to a cross in our place so that we now have access to God. He brought it to us. Every single one of us. And here's what's so important about this. That that salvation, that grace is available to everyone because everyone matters. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for everyone, there's the word again, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's available to everyone. You may be here today thinking, you know what, it's available to everyone but me. You don't know my story. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the sins I've committed. If you knew, you would know I'm disqualified. No, let me tell you something. God knows, and you are not disqualified. Jesus came, and he died for you, and he died for me. There's nobody that doesn't matter as far as God's concerned. You matter to God. That's why I sent Jesus to prove that love to you. So the story now is going to take a shift. And in this shift, as I get ready to read it, there's going to be, there's going to be a moment of tension for the people listening. And if we're not careful, we're going to feel that same tension in our own lives. And here's what happens. Let me give you the point, and then we'll go to the story. Here's the second point, and that is this. My gratitude for his grace, for what I just talked about, 
for him lowering the goal. My gratitude, my thankfulness for him doing what I could not do for myself. My gratitude for his grace will keep me from feeling entitled. You know what entitlement is, right? It's when, you, when I think I deserve something. Like somebody owes me something. I'm entitled to it. My, my focus, my gratitude for what he has done that I couldn't do for myself. The fact that he went and sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for me, to make it possible for me to have a relationship with God, to make it possible for me to have my sins forgiven, that, that gratitude, thank you God for doing that, will keep me from feeling entitled like I deserved what he gave me. And that's what the story's really all about. Because there were some people who really struggled with this. Now, before I read this story, I want to give you a little disclaimer that God is always fair and God is always just. However, his definition of fair and just may be different than ours sometimes. So here's the story. Let's pick it up. Remember all the guys are out in the field. He's hired some at early, early, early. Some at nine, some at noon, some at three, some at five. Here's what happens. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as, as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual way? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this, this last worker the same as you. I, I want to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I'm kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. This story doesn't seem fair, does it? Let's, let's put ourselves in a couple of these people's sandals, shall we? Let's, think, let's put ourselves in, in the sandals of the, of the guys who were hired at 5 p.m., an hour before quitting time. We go out, and we, and we work, and to our amazement, we get a full day's wage. Now, you would be like, this is incredible. This is, what a blessing. I don't deserve this. I'm certainly not entitled to this, but I receive this with great joy. This is so amazing. Wow, what grace that's been extended to me. You'd be happy, right? Just me? Would you guys be happy? I'd be happy. On the other hand, let's put ourselves now in the other guy's sandals. They've been, they've been working since beginning, you know, an hour probably before sunrise. All day long in the scorching heat. They see those guys get paid a full day. They're thinking, what? I'm going to get more than that because I worked all day. I put in like a full day. They put in an hour, so they're going to pay me. The, the foreman pays me the same amount. What's up with that? Like, and that's why they protested. Wait, that's not fair. You're going to pay me the same as those guys? They worked an hour. I worked 10 hours in the heat. It's not fair. That makes sense, doesn't it? And it would make sense, right, until you realize that every one of them was given grace. Like, this is the point of the story. None of them deserved anything. That They didn't have a job until they got hired to begin with. And the owner says, wait a second. 
I paid you what I told you I was going to pay you. When you when he took the job, I said, I'm going to give you a full day's wage. You got a full day's wage. What do you care if I gave this guy the same? Why would, it care, why would you care? Isn't it my money? Can't I do what I want? Why do you feel that you're entitled to more when this is what I told you I was going to give you? See, the story really does not make sense. And, and it, you know, when you think about salvation, sometimes it doesn't make sense. But when you think back on point one, that grace is undeserved and it's available to everyone, the story will start making sense. Now, let me put it in a more, more modern scenario for you. And this is where people struggle. A lot of us have this idea, this attitude. We have what I call revisionist history of our lives. In other words, we, we, we revised it over time. When we first give our life to Jesus, we, we are so appreciative of God's grace. We recognize we're a sinner, we're lost, we don't deserve it, and we get the grace of God, and we rejoice in it. And then a few years go by, a few decades go by, and we rewrite that history. And we think, you know what? I really wasn't as bad as, you know, anyways. I really wasn't that bad. In fact, God's pretty lucky to have me. And that attitude changes. And so someone else comes in, and they get their life to Jesus, and we're not real happy about it. It's like, that's not fair. Here's the scenario. Let's take two people. One per, they're both 95 years old. They're both about to die. They've lived long lives. Person one, at the age of six, they realized that they needed Jesus. They repented of their sin. Six years old, repented of their sin because the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not none, uh, not one. So they give their life to Jesus. They live their life for God their entire lifetime. They go to church. They serve in church. Maybe they even work at church. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're doing, they're missionaries. I don't know. But they've always tried to do the right thing. They're not perfect. They made some mistakes. But they're literally, the entirety of their life has been serving God. 95 years old, they die. They go to heaven. They're given all kinds of crowns for their work that they've done. They cast them at Jesus' feet. They move into their mansion. It's awesome, right? We're all, that, we, that makes sense. Person two, 95 years old, deathbed. This person lived their life polar opposite, never even considered God all their lifetime. Lived a very bad life, antagonistic toward Christianity. Sin that you can't even name, just all kinds of stuff. 95 years old, on their deathbed, someone comes in and shares the gospel message how Jesus died for their sins. Person's heart is, is really touched they repent of a genuine repentance of their sin and turn their life over to Jesus and they die. Guess where they go? To heaven, right? They're in heaven. They get, they get whatever rewards they get. They cast them at Jesus' feet. They get their mansion. Maybe, maybe it doesn't have indoor plumbing. I don't know, but they, don't, they get a mansion. And you know what? Here's the issue. And here's what this story really is about. Is that everyone matters. And sometimes I think it's really easy for us to go, wait, that's not fair. This person, all their life, they live for Jesus. And they get to go to heaven. They get the same thing as this person over here who never lived their life for Jesus. The last minute or last hour of their life, they give their life to Jesus. And you're saying they get the same reward. They get to go to heaven. Their sins are forgiven. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And if you ever come to the point where, this does, where we're wrestling with this, you're starting to feel entitled. Because let me remind you that God doesn't owe us anything. There is none of us here that deserves to be in heaven at the end of our lifetime anyways. The first person, because they lived all their life for Jesus, they didn't earn that salvation. Understand, this was not earned. 
It was by the grace of God that they lived their life and avoided a lot of what this guy didn't avoid. This is what Jesus is telling. Everyone matters. And now you can imagine the religious leaders and Pharisees hearing it, their minds exploding right now. Like, what are you trying to say? That's, that's what Jesus is saying. And I think sometimes we struggle. And we go, wait a second. It's not fair. And I want to remind you that none of it's fair. Like, I don't deserve what God's given me. And I know that. And if we ever forget that, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. We, end up, we can end up in a really bad place. Let me tell you how the Apostle Paul, what, what he had to say. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example of how, this, how we should feel about all of this. Because he lived his life, first bunch of years of his life, as a Pharisee, religious leader, who hated Christianity. And then he had a radical transformation himself. Jesus got a hold of his heart. And he lived the rest of his life for Jesus. Here's what he said. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. See, this is our at, should be our attitude. That Paul recognized that he didn't earn anything, that he was a, not only the sinner, he called himself the worst of them all. Like he knew who he was, and he knew who he was when God saved him. And he said, God, here's what I want you to do. I want my life to be an example of the grace of God. And I want people, when they look at me, they go, if, if God can save that guy, he can save me. You remember the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son, one of the great stories of the Bible, another parable of Jesus. In the story, there's a father who represents God, and then there's a son. Actually, there's two sons, but the prodigal son is the, is the younger son that represents all of us. And in the story, the son comes to the father and says, hey, dad, I know you haven't died yet, but can I have my share of your inheritance now? The dad says, okay. The son takes the money, goes to a distant country, and parties till he runs out of money. There's also a famine going on in the land at that point. He doesn't know what to do. Finds a job feeding pigs. He gets to the low, low point in his life, the bottom of the barrel, he's feeding pigs. And he looks at that pig slop, and he thinks to himself, man, that looks appetizing. I wish I had some of that to eat. That's how bad his life's got. And the Bible says he comes to his senses. He has this realization, this aha moment, where he says to himself, you know what? Back where at my house, my father's servants are living better than me. I'll go back, and I'll ask my dad for a job as one of his servants. I know he won't take me as a son. I don't deserve that. I've blown it. But maybe he'll hire me as a servant. So he starts going back. And as he's a distance, start, still a far distance away, the father sees him coming. The father runs to the son, kisses him, hugs him, puts the royal robe back on him, puts the ring on his finger, restores him, tells the servants, go kill the fatted calf we've been saving for a big moment. We're going to throw a party. And they do. There's a huge party going on. The other brother, the other brother, who really is the real prodigal, the older brother, hears the party going on. So he asks somebody, he says, what's going on back at the house? Oh, man, there's a huge party. What's the party about? Oh, your brother came back. Your dad killed a fatted calf, and, and we got a party going on. Well, this older son is really mad. And he says to himself, man, that's not fair. 
And he goes to his room and he pouts. I'm adding some to this story. He goes to his room and he pouts. His dad says, hey, son, what's up? Come on and party with us. And so he gives his dad a piece of his mind. He says, no, I'm not going to come to the party. You know why? Because I've been here all my life. I've never strayed away. I've been the model son. I worked all my life for you. Not once did you throw me a party. And that son of yours, he didn't call him his brother, that son of yours comes back. And what do you do? You kill the fatted calf and you throw a party for him. And the dad says, we needed to celebrate. Because this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. And my, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is that if we're not careful, we become like the older brother. Instead of rejoicing that this guy at 95 years old is not going to spend eternity in hell, we're mad because we don't think it's fair. We're the older brother in the story when we get that way. And God's saying, we need to rejoice. He was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Let me tell you how we, this, we never get in this situation, Okay. Well, let me read a scripture first, then we'll tell you, okay, how to work this here. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay, good reminder. God saved you by his grace when you believe. The unmerited favor of God. You didn't do anything for it. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. The Bible says that we are saved by God's grace and God's grace alone. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. You weren't good enough for it. Couldn't perform it well enough for it. God's grace. That's all we got. You know what you added to your salvation? Nothing. You didn't add, you didn't add, you didn't add it nothing. There is nothing you brought to help you deserve what you got. It is, an, it is the grace of God. It's a gift from God. And the moment I start thinking, well, I don't know about that. I, and I'm struggling with that thought. You got a problem. Because it's grace and grace alone. It's not grace and me being a pretty good guy. It's not grace and me going to church. It's not grace and me serving our community at love where you live. That's, that's, that's got nothing to do with it. It's grace. God's unmerited favor. God, lower the goal for me and for you. And here's the antidote. Here's what you, to make sure you never fall into this trap. Let me tell you something. Here's how you do. Go back in time, the moment in time when you gave your life to Jesus. Remember how lost you were, how broken you were, how distant you were from God, and how desperate you were for the, for the need of grace. Never forget that, because when you forget that, then you will start feeling entitled, like God owed you something, like you deserved it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. I know who I was. I know how broken I was. I know how lost I was. And I know how desperate I was for something that I couldn't do for myself. But God lowered the goal. And he sent Jesus, his one and only son, who died so that I could have a relationship with God. I added nothing to it because I had nothing to give. And neither did you. 
That's the grace of God. Everyone matters to God. We're all on level ground. We all need Jesus. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus. You need Jesus. If you've given your life to Jesus, we still need him. It says our salvation is secured already. And if you haven't made that decision because you didn't think you mattered to God or because you've made too many mistakes or whatever reason you list for disqualifying yourself, let me just tell you something. Just throw that in the trash because you matter to God. And what the, that's when the Bible says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what the Bible says. So why not today? Why not settle it once and for all? Why not open your heart to Jesus? Why not just say, God, thank you for that grace. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your amazing grace. We don't deserve it. There is none of us, there's not a person in this room who could stand up and go, well, I'm the exception to that because I was not so bad. We, the Bible says if we were, if there was, like we missed one part of the law, we've broken the entire law. We're sinners. Whether we sin once or a million times, we're sinners. And we're separated from you. But by the grace of God, you've made, you've bridged that gap for us by lowering the goal, by sending your precious one and only son. And whoever calls on his name will be saved because everyone matters. God, I pray for the person in this room, for the person watching online who doesn't think that they add up, that they measure up, that they matter. And I'm praying that today they realize that you died to show them that they matter. And if that's you, right now, right where you're at, why not just offer a prayer like this? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this earth, for lowering the, I couldn't, it was impossible for me to, it was impossible in my own efforts, but you lowered the goal. You, you came to this earth. You died on this cross for me. You shed your blood for me because I matter to you. And I'm placing my faith in you today. I give you my heart. I give you my life. And I'm asking you to save me and set me free. And I'll follow you for the rest of my life. God, I pray for others in this room, all of us who have maybe made that decision, but we're, we're, we're kind of creeping toward that older brother attitude where we're, we're kind of thinking we weren't as bad as we thought. We've kind of rewritten, rewritten history a little bit. We, we, we kind of forgot how desperate we were and are for your grace. And we've kind of rewritten history to think maybe we had a little bit to do with our salvation. But remind us, God, that we are nothing without you, that we add zero to this salvation. We just open up our hearts and turn from our sin and turn to you. That's what it's about. Thank you, God, for your grace that's available to us all because in your eyes, we matter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.